Lord, I here in your precious holy word commit myself, my husband, and my children, and all that I possess or I ever shall possess, all to you. I will follow your leadership even to China. Lord, open the doors, and I shall go and tell the Chinese of your great love. In time of need, supply for us. In time of trouble, bring peace. In time of joy, send someone to share. Help me never to murmur or complain. I love you. Tana. Commitment. That's a word we hear frequently today, but it's one which means different things to different people. But what does commitment, I mean true commitment, really mean? The Apostle Paul wrote, For I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Commitment can be defined as faith plus desire. Faith is a simple trust that God will fulfill his promises to use us and keep us. Desire is our will, our decision to obey him in whatever he tells us to do. A Christian's commitment to God is the unconditional surrender to God of everything he or she has. Commitment is not measured by results, but by obedience. Commitment characterizes the lives of Joe and Tana Collins. God responded to their commitment by calling them to a special ministry, a call they answered. After marriage, Joe and Tana attended Tabernacle Baptist College in Greenville, South Carolina. They told us about a missionary conference they attended near the end of their college days. Two weeks later, we were invited to a missions conference at a church in the city, and we went, and in the, in the sermon, he was preaching, and he's talking about all these, he's a missionary to Brazil, and he's talking about all these souls that were dying and going to hell because they never heard. And he said, Dan, I called you to the mission field, and I want you to go. So I said, Okay, Lord, I'll go. I promised when I was 13, and I'm giving my life again to you. So I pulled on Joe's coat sleeve after the service, and we went down, and uh, we gave our lives to the Lord for anything. I didn't know, but in the service, the Lord had dealt with Joe about China, and uh, I didn't know that, and it's probably a good thing I didn't. No, I always wondered, how does a missionary know what field to go to? I went to a missions conference, as my wife said in her testimony, uh, we decided we'd go to Tennessee, but about two weeks later in a missions conference that I was invited to attend, as the preacher was preaching, he mentioned China. But the Lord just began to open doors for us, and all through this deputation, before we went on deputation, we waited eight months before we started. But through China, the Lord uh, got me to see Tibet, and as they preached the other night, my eye affected my heart. It really did. As I checked out some books on China, and there's one sitting on the shelf called to, entitled Tibet there. And I saw that and I said, well, I think I'm, I've heard of that place. It may be in Africa or somewhere, but I didn't know where Tibet was. But you know, as I got that and looked at that and looked at those Chinese books and they told me about Tibet, my eye affected my heart. And really just the Lord gave us a burden for Tibet. And as I studied and found out that in all of history, Tibet has not been evangelized. I can only find where there's been about three mission expeditions there. And Really, only one of those was inside of Tibet. I'm not saying that there wasn't some more people that's gone, but that's all I can find. Very few souls ever saved there. In June of 89, Joe and Tana were approved by Baptist International Missions as missionaries to the Tibetan people. Their sending church was Good News Baptist Church in Greer, South Carolina. In order to have an effective ministry in Tibet, 
Joe and Tana found it necessary to begin in neighboring Nepal, home to thousands of Tibetan refugees. Nepal, situated astride the rugged Himalayan mountains and nestled between India and China, is one of the least developed, most isolated nations in the world. Nepal's population of 19 and a half million live primarily in the numerous central valleys and terraced hill country. Only 10% of the Nepalese live in cities, and Kathmandu, the capital, has a population of approximately a half million. Roads are narrow, rough, often impassable, and the major form of transportation is still by foot. The people of Nepal are among the world's poorest with an average yearly income of about $160. Almost half the children die before they are five, and overall life expectancy is less than 50 years. The Nepalese trace their ancestry to Central Asia, India, and Tibet. Because Nepal is so close to Tibet physically and historically, thousands of Tibetans have crossed the border to live there. Joe and Tana's burden to reach Tibet led them to come to Nepal. I'll let them explain the uncertainty and yes, at times the fear they faced in endeavoring to pursue the ministry they felt God had called them to. I just couldn't get that off my mind. I said, well, Lord, China's a communist country. Missionaries can't get in there and tried to dismiss it at that. But I couldn't hear the rest of the preaching. All I could hear is we need missionaries in China, all those billions of people going to hell. And the Lord just used that to work in my life. And I said, Lord, you began to open doors and I'll head that way. I want to do what you want me to do. And the Lord began to open that door that night as my wife surrendered to go wherever the Lord would have her to go. And she didn't know what God was doing in my heart yet. I waited to tell her that. The next evening he was sitting, he was sitting on the couch and I was picking up toys and he said, I think the Lord wants us in China, Tana. And I, I just kind of stood there and I said, China's communist. And he said, well, you said you'd go anywhere. And I said, I said, but it's communist, Joe. We can't go to China. And he said, well, pray about it. If it's the Lord's will, he'll deal with you too. Well, all week I fought the Lord. Really, I knew China's where he wanted us. That's where he told Joe he wanted us. That's where he wanted me. But I fought the Lord. I, you know, I dreamed China, ate China, slept China, everything. What are they doing in China? And I said, well, let's get some books from the library. So Joe went and got some books. And in the books, he had a book on Tibet. And he brought the book home. And I'm not one for library books on just countries, but I just couldn't get away from that book. I read the whole thing, even religion about Buddhism. And I got to looking at those pictures and at the little children. And the Lord kept saying, Tana, these people are going to hell. They don't know anything about me. As a wife and mother, I can understand the second thoughts Tana experienced amidst the realization they were going halfway around the world to a strange culture. It's hard enough moving across the United States, much less to a place where transportation is suspect. Shopping means going to a primitive outdoor market and where local women do their wash in the river. But God wonderfully answered Tana's concerns and calmed her heart. One, one day I was sitting down and and the Lord says, I want you to read Philippians. And I didn't want to read Philippians because I knew what would happen if I did what the Lord told me to. <laughs> so, but I, you know, it's one of those things when the Lord tells you to do something, sometimes he don't let you get away until you do it. You just can't have peace until you do what he told you to. So I opened my Bible to Philippians and I read Philippians 1.21. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. My biggest fear about going to the mission field is dying there. And the Lord says, you'll die here too. He said, you know, you're, 
it's better for you to go and serve me. That's the only reason I left you here, is to serve me and do what I ask you to do. It's much far better for me to die and go and be with Jesus than to stay here. And I thought, but my children, Lord, I can't leave my children over there. It's not like you're in America. All these things they're going to miss, this materialism, you know. And it said in Philippians 1.29, For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. The Lord may take my children. I hope not. But if that's his will, at least I'll know they'll die and be in heaven. And then I said, well, this is the devil. He's trying to get me to go to China. And I know we need to be in Lexington, Tennessee. And then he directed my attentions to Philippians 2.12. It says, Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. It was the Lord dealing in me. The devil's not going to call me to China and tell people about Jesus. And I said, Lord, I complain too much. You know, when I get under pressure, I just I kind of get upset and I complain. And I said, you know, I just don't think I can handle that kind of life. And he said, Philippians 2.14, do all things without murmurings and disputings. And I said, well, Lord, it's a different language. It's a totally different culture and country. And I says, they think different than we. They're not even like us. And I says, I just can't do it. I know I can't do it. I can't adapt. He directed my attention to Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. I said, well, Lord, you know, if, if we get over there and we need money, we can call Mama or, you know, we can just go to friends. But in China, there's not going to be anybody there. And he said, Philippians 4.19, but my God shall supply your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And I said, Lord, I can't be happy there. I know I can't be happy. And he said, Philippians 4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. It doesn't matter what he does, you're to rejoice. If he takes your children, you're to rejoice. If he calls you to mission field, you're to rejoice. Because that's the only thing is to be happy in the Lord. Being contented in the Lord, that's what commitment is all about. Tana's commitment took a step which showed how determined she was to give God everything. At the 1990 Missions Conference at Windsor Hills Baptist Church, Tana gave a moving testimony, and then, well, let's have Pastor Vineyard explain. I've been saved 28 years, and I've never heard anybody talk about what God has done for them and meant to them like she did in that testimony that day. It even speaks to my heart today, as I recall it. Then, later on in the week, we took up our faith, promise, missions commitment. The secretary who worked for me in the office at that time, Miss Judy Hayes, after we had taken the faith, promise, missions commitment, come to me and said, Pastor Vineyard, you know the lady that you were so impressed by her testimony the other day? Miss Hayes says, that lady, Mrs. Tana Collins, put her wedding band in the offering for the Faith Promise Missions Commitment. And she had given a note to Miss Hayes and asked that we take her wedding rings and sell them and then give the money to missions. I was touched and surprised when I heard of Tana putting her rings in that offering plate. Wedding rings are such a symbol of commitment between a husband and wife and mean so much. But her action tells me that Tana and Joe had a unique relationship. 
Each completely trusted the other to do exactly what God was asking of him or her and to accept this as God's will. Well, it's obvious the Tibetan people made a deep impression on the minds and hearts of Joe and Tana. This didn't mean they felt their work would be easy. In fact, Joe was consciously aware of the challenges before them. Tibet, I believe, is a stronghold of Satan. I really do. Satan has picked the choicest spot in the world. This is a place, average elevation 16,000 feet above sea level. It's the highest and largest plateau on all the earth. There's not been many foreigners there. Any book you read about Tibet, the author will always call it the forbidden country, the forbidden land, because very few people have ever gone there. And that's because it's hard to travel, it's hard to get there. And so Satan chose that place. Many cults come out of there. The New Age movement, much of that has come out of Tibet. You know, that's one of Satan's strongholds. Religion plays a major role in all Nepali life. The people of Nepal, which is the world's only officially Hindu nation, believe that their king is a reincarnation of the major Hindu god, Vishnu. Tibetans living in Nepal are primarily Buddhist, and the two religions are intertwined. Religious liberty is restricted, and although a new civil code has made it possible to voluntarily change religions, the law still prohibits converting someone from one religion to another. In order to have the most effective ministry possible, Joe and Tana got an apartment in the midst of Nepal's Tibetan population, just one block from the second largest Buddhist stupa in the world. Living out an act of faith, they prayed that God would open the door to bringing the gospel into Tibet. But God gave us a burden. I believe it's getting to be the last days. I believe the Lord's coming back soon. And, you know, I don't really know all how that the Lord has a plan for us getting in there. It is a part of China. It's a part of communist China. China took it over in 1951. They came in by force and took over Tibet. And the Dalai Lama is their leader. He had to leave. He's supposedly a god, an incarnate god, but he's not much of a god if the Chinese could run him out of his own country. And, you know, maybe the Lord has used this, communism, China taking over that place, to prepare these people's hearts to accept the truth. They've been so hard in the past before communism has took over. But... The Lord gave us a burden, and we're trusting Him. That's all we can do. Joe and Tana landed in Kathmandu in late 1990 with this purpose, to allow God to use them in reaching the Tibetans with the gospel. After two intense years of ministry, Joe and Tana needed some R&R, taking a plane trip to Bangkok, Thailand. They could not foresee that this would mean the full realization of their commitment. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. My biggest fear about going to the mission field is dying there. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And the Lord says, you'll die here too. He said, you know, you're, it's better for you to go and serve me. That's the only reason I left you here, is to serve me and do what I ask you to do. It's much far better for me to die and go and be with Jesus than to stay here. I had the honor of representing BIMI at the memorial service held in Nepal for the victims of the airline crash. 
I first heard about the crash at two in the morning on the BBC while on assignment in Romania. Immediately, for some reason, I prayed for Joe and Tana. I didn't learn of their deaths until two weeks later. As a photographer for BIMI, I've had some extraordinary assignments, but I knew this was going to be a most unusual and difficult one. We couldn't go to the actual impact area, but the Nepali government had donated land nearby for a memorial site. I stood filming as Joe's mother and her sister took flowers from the airline representative and slowly approached the wall where the names of all 113 victims were engraved on individual stones. Joe's mother reached out and caressed the names of her family. Tana's mother kissed the stones, the only memorial left to her daughter, son-in-law, and five grandchildren. Both placed flowers in the crevices on the wall. As we walked back, I was shaken by the sight of more than 100 coffins placed in a carved out portion of the mountain. At the crest of the mountain, an arrow pointed to the exact impact site. It's hard to describe the feeling of sharing that moment of grief with the Collins and Sellers families and with those people whom I didn't even know, but who were united in a bond of sorrow. Although I was there to do a job, to film the service, I was occupied with memories of Joe and Tana and in the emotion of their family's loss. The service had speakers from several religions intended to be cold and comfortless until a minister read from John 11:25, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Because of what Christ did in dying for us and rising again, I knew Joe, Tana, and their children were with the Savior and were truly happy. While in Nepal, I met Paula, Tana's close friend and fellow missionary, who gave me some insight into Joe and Tana's family and ministry life. We met Joe and Tana after my aunt, who worked for the BIMI headquarters, wrote my mom with their name, saying that these folks were going to Nepal, the new missionaries. And we got their name and their phone number and, and got together with them for a meal. And, and so when we met Joe and Tana, and here was somebody who our, our hearts were one, they're they worshiped the same Lord, and their goals in proclaiming his name to the, to the lost people were, were the same. It just, the, fel the fellowship between us clicked right into place, and I can't, I can't say what a blessing it was to us or explain how much of a blessing it was to us to have the time with them. Um, the, kid, the kids were really special. Our kids um, were the same age as theirs, and so they each, they each had a friend that when you're preparing to come, you just think you have to give that up. I have lots of memories and pictures in my mind of the kids. April and, uh, was the ultimate Didi. In Nepali, Didi means big sister, and it carries the connotations of, of the oldest child with it. Not, it's not just for the oldest child, but it's, she's the, it's the one who kind of runs the show, and April was that one. I mean, she loved her brothers. She, I have pictures of April and Caleb with, those, with the twins when they were five, six months old. They, weren't, they were about a half as big as April and Caleb were. And there was Samuel. Samuel was the quiet one. He had a mischievous twinkle in his eye, but he was pretty quiet. And uh, then there's Caleb. He was a, he was a real go-getter. Tana always said that she thought God was, had brought him through so many scrapes that he was preparing him for something special someday. Sorry. 
<laughs> I have pictures of their Caleb and our Joshua. I'm playing David and Goliath in the bedroom. <laughs> one of them was on the dresser, on top of the dresser, playing David, and the other one was on top of the bunk beds being Goliath, <laughs> shouting the Bible script back and forth across the room to each other. He was, he was just a go-getter. He's uh, a special little kid. We, they're not there. There's no more phone calls. There's no more birthday parties. No more special dinners. I remember in the holiday times when you're apart from your family are really hard. And just to have somebody who's like family here is really special. Hey, Joe and Tana lived in an area of town called Boda. It was the area of town where the Tibetans congregated. There is a large stupa there. In fact, it's the second largest Buddhist stupa in the world. The, the, in, the life of the entire area revolves around the stupa. People are constantly walking around the stupa, um, bowing to the idols, twirling the prayer wheels, believe, and by this doing this, they believe that um, Lord Buddha will hear their prayers, their prayers written down on papers inside of those cylinders that spin around. I hate to use this word, but there's an evilness that permeates the area because of the control of, of the Buddhist spirits and beliefs, the control that this has on the lives of the people. Everything is done for centering around their worship. The area is full of monasteries where people spend lifetimes um, studying Buddhist dogma and traditions and beliefs. And everyone, everyone there, their life just revolves around, around this stupa. Very few missionaries have survived living there. Most, many have, have tried and have moved out because of the spiritual oppression they felt in that area. But Joe and Tana wanted to work with the Tibetans. They wanted to be right there witnessing to the people who needed to hear, whose, whose lives were covered by the darkness. The Tibetans were impressed that they wanted to live in that area um, because so few have. That they would, that they weren't set apart in a compound, big house of their own, but they lived right in with them. They had Tibetans and Indians day in and day out coming in and out of their house and walking around their apartment, looking in the windows. I mean, they, it was very, very much a fishbowl lifestyle. People were constantly watching them, what they did, what they said, and I think they were really touched by, by their life and testimony. I mean, here were some real people who lived, lived their faith out. They trusted Jesus Christ, and, and, and it, was, it made a difference in their life. Um, so I mean, he went to work, and he worked, he worked two years without a vacation, and held meetings. He learned Tibetan in an incredibly quick time. And he, he worked at it daily till he could get to where he could preach in a language, whereas many people have been here for years and years still don't speak it well enough to preach. They were ordinary people. They had the same thoughts and feelings and fears that Christians at home do. Um, they got tired. Sometimes they got overwhelmed. They got hurt. Sometimes they got angry. But they were committed to the Lord. They were committed to the work that he called them to do, and they were willing to stay here and tell people about Jesus, no matter what the cost was for them personally. And that was pretty extraordinary.
Your he stay now in heaven. And uh, he is my best friend. But now it's disappeared. So where is he? He is in heaven. All his family together. With Jesus. What is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. One life to live twill soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. Many years ago, a young couple, John and Betty Stam, were martyred in China after only a few short months of service. In 1956, five young men trying to reach a remote tribe of Indians in the jungles of Ecuador were martyred. The people that I've mentioned had only a brief time of missionary service, and yet they have had a profound effect upon worldwide evangelization. When we heard of the plane crash and the death of Joe and Tana Collins and their five children, we were, to say the least, stunned. Humanly speaking, we could not understand this. However, we are confident that God had purposes for this totally unknown to any of us. Several days after the plane crash, they began a search for the victims or for any of their personal belongings. From the seven members of the Collins family, they found nothing except Joe's Bible. From this Bible, Joe studied the great truths of the Word of God. From the immutable Word of God, Joe learned to have faith in God. He has two outlines in his Bible. One of them is about faith. The other one is about death. From this Bible, Joe received strength and courage to face many adverse circumstances. One day, Joe placed on the finger of Tana a ring as a token of his love for her. In a missionary conference, Tana was motivated to give something for missions. She had no money. She gave perhaps her most precious materialistic possession, her wedding ring. The equivalent value of that wedding ring was put into that offering, but the wedding ring was kept. Dr. Vineyard had intended to give Tana the ring on her return to America. She never returned. I wonder what God will give her in return for that gift. Be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord, it was not in vain. You know, the Bible says go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That's what it says. And I believe that the Lord meant that. And over there in Matthew chapter 9, when the Bible says the Lord looked up and he saw the multitudes and his heart was moved with compassion, and he told them, he said, the harvest is plenteous, but the laborers are few. You know, the Lord was brokenhearted at that point. His heart was broken because he knew many would never hear about the salvation that he could give them. But, you know, the 
the uh, solution he gave them to that problem. He said, pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. That's what he told them. Pray. And that's the answer. That is the answer to the problem of missions. We need to be praying around this world. Every one of us need to be getting an atlas and praying for every country in the world that, Lord, you send laborers into that country and trust in our God to do it. Just like Dr. Cowett was talking about that verse over in 2 Chronicles. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect towards him. And wouldn't it be wonderful and great, and wouldn't it show our God strong if missionaries got into the country of Tibet? Wouldn't that be a blessing? It'd show our God strong. And we're praying for that. Now, we will work with these Tibetans anywhere, India, Nepal, just wherever God opens the door. But we're praying. We're asking everybody to pray for Tibet, that God would open it up. And we just have to believe God. We just have to believe Him. Over in Jeremiah 33, he said, Call unto me, and I'll answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things that thou knowest not. The commitment of Joe and Tanya Collins that we've witnessed this morning in this video should not be an aberration. It should be the norm in every Christian's life. Why are the laborers so scarce? Why does the work of God today suffer? Why is the gospel not preached in all the world? I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. In those verses in Romans 12 that you have memorized, God gives us a compassionate invitation. I beseech you. He's inviting us. I beseech you, brethren, 
Those of us that are saved. Those of us that have had the gospel preached to us. Those of us that have received it, accepted it, and now profess it. I beseech you. On what basis? By the mercies of God. It's of the Lord's mercies that we're not consumed. For his compassions fail not. The Lord is merciful and gracious. And he's been gracious to us to give us the gospel. And now he makes a compassionate invitation. To do what? He makes a compassionate invitation for us to make a consecrated presentation. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. He wants us. Why would he want us? We're nothing. We're sinners. Saved by the grace of God. We're, we have nothing in ourselves to give God. But he's asking for our life. He's saying, I want you to give a consecrated presentation, a, a sacrifice to me of your life. Is that possible? Is it possible to live that kind of a life? Is it possible to completely give yourself to the Lord? I mean, there are so many options. There are so many things we could do. There are things that call out to us, that draw us, that, that, that say, hey, come and, and, and get this. How are we going to make this consecrated presentation of our life to a God who extends this compassionate invitation to us? Well, it's going to take a complete mortification. Be not conformed to this world. If we're going to ever live a life of commitment, We've got to die to self. We've got to completely mortify the flesh. We've got to have a funeral for the old man. The old desires, the old ambitions. That which it appeals to our, our nature, that which appeals to our, our human side, that which we want to do. We've got to completely mortify and say, not my will, but thine be done. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I. But Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. That he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. A complete mortification of me, of I, of what I want. But that isn't going to be possible unless there's a cognitive transformation. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The only way your life could replicate what we just saw is if you decide today 
to change your thinking. If all we can think about is ourself, if all we can think about is what the world has to offer us, if all we can think about is what's in it for me, nobody will ever make a video about commitment with us in the video. We've got to have a cognitive transformation. We've got to think differently because as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. We've got to have a change of mind. We've got to get our mind off of the things of this world. We've got to set our affection on things above, not on the things of the earth. We've, we've, we've got to look higher than, than this life. We've got to look farther than, than what our life or this world has to offer. We've got to think beyond all that to what God has. And when you accept this compassionate invitation to make your life a consecrated presentation through a complete mortification of the old man, which happens when you have a cognitive transformation in your thinking, then and only then will you have a confident justification for your life that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. It's hard to improve on perfect. It's hard to get better than a perfect score on a test. God's offering you perfect. He's offering me perfect. You can have a life that's good, that's acceptable, that's perfect, it's complete. It's, it, it'll fulfill everything you need, everything that you desire in your heart of hearts because it's the will of God. And there's nothing that can match. There's nothing that can compare. There's nothing that can, can stack up to the perfect, complete, good will of God. Collins, they wouldn't want to come back and rewrite that video. They wouldn't want to change a thing right now. They lived it out. Short, yes. What did they accomplish? Heaven knows. But they're in heaven today having lived a life of commitment. How about us? How about us? Dr. Sisk is here today. He's a picture of a life of commitment. While some who've lived this life have gotten just a few short months to serve, others like Dr. Sisk have lived their whole life. But if you've read his books, he wouldn't go back and change the script either. Because whatever God has planned for you, it's perfect. Would you surrender your life to him today? Dr. Sisk, would you... Would you pray for us? Would you come and just pray for our student body? We're about to head into a missions conference soon. We're about to be challenged in a number of areas as we come to the midway point of this semester. And I hope you're starting to figure out you're here on purpose.
You're not here by accident. You say, well, I'm in a little trouble with Dr. Shetler right now. No, you're still here on purpose. You say, well, if I don't get some money, I'm not going to be able to take midterms. You're here on purpose. You say, well, I'm not getting the hours at work. You're here on purpose. Live out the rest of it. We need God's help, don't we? To live the kind of life we've seen exhibited today. Dr. Sisk, would you pray for us? I just got back from the Philippines. Rick and Becky Martin just celebrated their 41st anniversary of being in the Philippines. There's over 1,400 independent Baptist churches there that is a result of them going to the Philippines. God has let them live a long and fruitful life, and that's the will of God for their lives. God has let me live 85 years, and that's God's will for my life. God let Joe and Tana live just a few short years in their 20s, and the five children, that was the will of God for their life. The only thing really important is to find out what God wants me to do and to do it. Let's do pray. Dear Lord, I thank you as I sat here today and watched again the video that depicts the commitment of Joe and Tana Collins. They were wonderful young people. And I remember that, that day when I received word that all of them had died in a plane crash. And I called Joe and Tanner's mother and dad and told them that their son, their daughter, five grandchildren had gone to heaven. Dear Lord, I thank you, dear Lord, today that the Bible tells us that when we're absent from the body, we're present with the Lord. And I pray that you'd help each of us to remember, even as Tana mentioned in her testimony, we're going to die somewhere. It's not important where we die. It's important that we die where you want us to be. Lord, I pray you'll speak to our student body. I thank you for every one of them. Some are struggling. And I pray, dear Lord, that you'll help them today to realize that they are here today for a purpose. And this could be the very beginning of a victorious life for them. I pray that you'd help each of them to be committed. I think of the fruitful mission fields around the world, fruit that is just ready to be picked, and the labors are so few. So, dear Lord, we answer your prayer request this morning. We are praying for labors for the great harvest, 7.6 billion people. Most of them, like the Tibetan people, know nothing about our Savior, Jesus Christ. So I pray, dear Lord, today that you'll speak to each of our hearts. Help us to be totally committed to you until the day you call us home. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, let's be dismissed with a heart that's focused on what God would have us to do. You're dismissed.